This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The offseason fully upon us now as we're finished with the Arizona Fall League. We're going to wrap up the Arizona Fall League by talking a little bit about uh, some guys who were in Arizona and were facing Rule 5 decisions. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, our ranking of the top 25 AFL prospects. And uh, speaking of Rule 5 decisions, that's how we're going to kick off today's podcast. The deadline for teams to protect players on their 40-man roster ahead of December's Rule 5 draft was last Tuesday. And uh, we had every ranked prospect who faced that decision. We tracked them for you, and uh, we're going to go through that list and talk about some guys who got protected, some guys who didn't, uh, any surprises, some some of the hardest decisions, and some unranked prospects who got roster spots. And uh, we will talk about Jim's long-term rookie rankings, which rankle fans every year started rage week uh, a few years ago no story that we do uh, raises the ire of readers and fans more than this one uh, so time to talk about that and we'll wrap up as always by answering a question from the mailbag jim jonathan real quick seeing a, a lot about the uh, hall of fame class this year and jonathan does it make you feel old to know that uh a player that you have ranked is now uh, Hall of Fame eligible. I don't. I, I don't know if this is the first time, but I I do know that our first, the first number one overall prospect that you ever ranked is now eligible. Uh, I mean, like, do I really need more <laughs> reasons to feel old? I, you know, it's uh, you know, you spent two weeks in the fall league, and you have guys that you covered who are now managing in the fall league. You have. You know, I thought the the biggest thing that made me feel old was uh, having covered Carl Crawford in the Futures game and then his son in the Futures game. So I was already feeling pretty old. Um, but yes, I would say that having a Hall of Fame eligible former ranked prospect has got a it, it's it, it's it's up there. Maybe that'll give me extra AARP benefits. Uh, now that that's the case. Yeah, this is a. Uh... This is your 20th year of ranking prospects for MLB.com. The first top 50 prospects list uh, ever on MLB.com was in 2004, and the number one prospect was Joe Maurer. Also, the, that list, the top of that list, also included the highest-ranked player to not make big leagues. Do you know who that is? No. Come on. <laughs> no. He was number three on that list, Greg Miller. The The... Dodgers pitcher. I, I referenced. I, yeah. I spoke of Greg Miller. I, I, not name dropping, but I had I had breakfast with Logan White while I was out in the Arizona Fall League, and Greg Miller's name came up. That sounds a lot like a, a name drop. Yeah. All right. 
let's uh let's talk rule five moves so uh as i mentioned the deadline was last tuesday and we always track the rank prospects they're eligible for the rule five draft if they don't get roster spots this year was was weird because there were so few ranked prospects eligible to begin with so few relative to the past few years so we've we've tracked going back to 2015 and over the course of the years there were 156 eligible prospects back in 2015 then 144 153 149 149 and then in 2020 there were 174 in 2021 169 and 2022 176 so a big spike over the past three years, and then we dropped back down to 153 this year. And then on top of that, but by far the lowest percentage of those prospects added to 40-man rosters, just 35%. The lowest previously was last year at 43%, and that the number has is, dwindled is considerably since 2019 when it was 58.3%. It's gone down each year to now this 35.3%. And you guys don't know why. I have two small theories. All right. But I don't think you Do they add up into one big one? They do not. No, they're, they're, no. I think the reason we had the surge of overall ranked prospects eligible was because I, Jonathan, you mentioned COVID. I actually do think it was COVID thinking through this because while players still got a credit people listening are like he did not mention COVID. well he did before we went on there um you had the players got a year of service or not service but they get credit with the year of their contract even during the COVID year while they weren't really playing so guys still became eligible for the rule five draft when they normally that didn't get delayed but because they lost most guys didn't play at all in 2020 you know maybe a little bit in in the big leagues if they did that that their development was slowed a little bit so that we had, and they were slower to graduate. So we had more ranked prospects who were eligible for the rule five draft. Anyone who want to buy, sell that theory? Does that make some sense? No, I, I think like a solid it, theory. It, it almost, yeah, it almost goes back to the previous, the, the old CBA when they had a one fewer, when the rule five was maybe, you know, had some more exciting, you know, Josh Hamilton kind of names. You had one f- less year to evaluate players right way back when yeah way back when so it almost harkens back to that time i think that there was that missing year of evaluation both by you know the 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 teams and then other you know other teams couldn't see those players for that whole year for the most part so i I think it kind of threw a a wrench into it so that that is why i went you know and i like to blame covid for everything but i think that it that has a lot to do with why you know why the surge and now you know we're kind of back down to what i think is you know maybe a more normal level once they switched to that extra year of eligibility teams were not making as many mistakes in terms of not protecting a guy who then went on to to, you know really good things in the big leagues right away So, so anyway so i think that makes sense as to why there are fewer prospects who need to be protected this year. We've kind of gone back to the pre-COVID levels where it hovered around 150. And I do think the percentage, my 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 small theory for why the percentage is only 35.3% down, or 35.3% this year, and it's decreased for 
I guess the fourth consecutive year in terms of the number of protected number of top 30 prospects who were protected has keeps sinking is I think teams are just, I, I wouldn't, I don't even want to use the word gamble, but I think you're just cognizant of, of becoming more cognizant of how hard it is to protect guys. And it seems like teams are using 40 man spots more for guys who could help in the big leagues more quickly. And like, you know, a lot of the guys who don't get protected are, you know, an international guy who signs at 16 and he's 21, but he's still not close to the big leagues or, a guy who's you know got a lot of velocity, but he's raw. But every team has guys like that. So I, I just think I thirty five percent you know seems low. But again, if you look at the guys who weren't protected, we're not talking about. Uh, I mean, Jason, I think you did the math. I mean, how many guys were even ranked in the top ten prospects in our organization? Just a couple, right? Yeah, I think it was a handful. I can't remember what. Yeah, the, the but, but very was. few. Like we're talking about guys who are ranking in the you know bottom half of top thirties, and those are not guys who are going to stick in a lot of cases. So, th- that's my other theory. Two small theories. Yes. Both solid, I think. Small but solid. So. Yeah. Another number that was down uh, was the number of top one hundred prospects who needed to be protected. There were only six this year, and as has been the case. Every year since we started tracking this back in 2015, all of them were protected. That's uh, almost a given as we go into this each year. But that's now uh, what six uh, onto uh, that's now 94 uh, out of 94 over the past nine years that have been protected. So no surprises there. All right. So anything? Any any interesting? names that that stood out to you uh that either were protected or were not protected well i think it was interesting uh you know that the the twins protected austin martin i don't know that it was a surprise you know we did that you know one for each team you know toughest decisions to make and he was my choice for for the twins you know number five overall pick by the Blue Jays back in 2020 out of Vanderbilt came to the twins in the Jose Barrios trade in 2022. And he's the kind of guy that you want, you had to protect right in a lot of ways, because, you know, that was a huge trade and, and they want return on the investment. He has gotten hurt a bunch. He had an elbow injury that shelved him. He had some trouble throwing. It's still unclear where he can play defensively. Maybe second base. Um, I'd probably put him in the outfield. He did swing the bat late in the year uh, better, but the lack of impact has been an issue pretty much from the second he started pro ball. And I think we're at the point now, Jim, that like you just have to kind of let him be what he's going to be, and he's going to make – he's going to get on base. He's going to make contact – he can run a little bit. Maybe you move around, you know, a couple different positions, not in one place every day. Uh, you know, so maybe someone would have tried to take him as a utility guy. You know, I think a case could have been made not to protect him because of the lack of impact and, you know, that lack of sort of clarity where he can play defensively. But it did make sense that uh, they, they almost had to protect him to try to get return on investment from that. Barrios trade. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with you. I don't know that he wouldn't because I don't even, I don't even think he's that versatile defensively because I don't think he's a good infielder. I just think he's kind of a contact hitting outfielder. But again, 
you know, sometimes, you know, there's some public perception. I don't think it would have been a great look. I don't think he would have necessarily been picked. I'm with you, Jonathan, but it wouldn't have been a great look if the guy you got is the main guy in the Jose Brios trade gets rule five a couple of years later. I mean, looking at it, a couple names that, that jumped out just from organizations I wanted writing about, but I, but I get what the teams were doing, you know, with the giants, Grant McRae, who was their number seven prospect. And Jason is like Mr. Rule five research. Uh, I think that was what the second highest ranked prospect to not be protected on a team list. Jason, right. Carlos De La Cruz with the Phillies at number six was the highest. Yep. Um, that's right. And, you know, and McCray's interesting. I mean, he's got a lot of tools. He's got bloodlines. He's he hit 37 homers and stolen 95 bases the last two years in the minors. But, you know, he hasn't, you know, the, the COVID set him back. He lost year to COVID. He was hurt his first couple of years. So he's drafted in 2019. He's going to be 23 in December and he hasn't played higher than high A. And he still has really interesting tools. Uh, but there's some swing and miss too. He, did, he had an okay, but not great year in high A. And I just think it's a real stretch to, to take him um, and keep him on your roster all year. Like he needs at bats and having him in your big league team when he's not ready to play in the big leagues wouldn't work. So I, I get why they didn't keep him. You know, it's maybe it's just because I just saw him in the championship game in the fall league, but you know, Nassim Nunez is one of the more confounding prospects. You'll see, you know, Marlins middle infielder, he won the MVP of the of the Futures game this year. And he does everything either really well or not well. There's nothing average with Nassim Nunez. I mean, we've got him. If we could, gra- if we could uh, come up with a formula to calculate uh, furthest from 50 tools in all five categories, I think he might win it <laughs> because he's a 70 runner. He's a 70 fielder. I, I went 65 on the arm. You could probably go 70. And he, he looked spectacular on defense spectacular run the bases in the afl championship game i mean he is incredibly talented on that side of the ball like he can steal bases he has a patient approach he draws walks but he's not a good hitter and he has no power like he's a career 233 hitter in the minors 224 this year in double a he hit five home runs this year so now he has seven in his career he's a career you guys want to guess what his power's coming? I, I was going to ask you to guess his career slugging percentage <laughs> is 286. Yes. Oh, my. That's a tough one. He makes Miles Straw look like Babe Ruth. But anyway, <laughs> think- I was just going to say, like, it's, it's so you could come up with reasons to protect him because he's so good defensively and on the bases, but the bat's a question mark. So I'm not really surprised they didn't protect him. It would be interesting if somebody – like, I don't know what he would hit in the big leagues. I don't think he would, but like he could definitely play defense and he'd definitely be an asset running the bases in the big leagues. But I, I, I get again, why they didn't protect him. I was going to ask, you know, the only reason why I could see a team taking him is because of, you know, the, the new rules, the shift is gone. There's a little more emphasis on speed and defense uh, and he's a guy who could play on both sides of second. I'm sure he could play third base if you needed him to. Uh, I mean, not that you would want that bat at third base, but you know, to fill in. I wonder with the, you know with the way the game is shaped now, whether or not there's more value in what he is good at. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know if you could use him enough as a defensive replacement, pinch runner, spot starter 
to to make it worthwhile because he is you know gold glove caliber defender and a guy who could steal 50 bases if you you know easily playing regularly so it'll be interested to see if someone decides to give that a shot i'll bet they don't just because again the incredulity in jason's voice when he looked at the career 286 slugging percentage yeah i thought i was looking at i I was I was making I was making more of a sort no, of, no, you're uh, right. Like then that's why Devil's like, argument there, but yeah. And the interesting thing is, I don't think the Marlins. I guess John Birdie's are projected shortstop right now, um, and he's actually had a, a kind of an underrated big league career. But I don't think of him as a as necessarily a big league everyday shortstop. Yeah, you know, they've got Jacob Amaya, but they don't really have a, a set shortstop for the future. But again, I the the bat is just so light that I don't think you can pretend. But I, I just thought it was interesting because. I mean, you could argue he has 370 tools, but the bat and the power don't even add up to 70. So um, it's like he's definitely interesting. We will uh, we'll find out. We should mention the Rule 5 draft is on Wednesday, December 6th at the Winter Meetings in Nashville, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you'll be able to follow that live on MLB.com. All right, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned that uh, – Austin Martin was the guy that you tabbed as uh, the most difficult decision for the twins uh, ahead of the deadline. Um, let's talk about some of the other guys. So you, you picked one player from each team that had to be protected or become would become rule five eligible out of those 30 guys, 10 of them were protected. Um, 20 were not. And, and one was, was protected, but not by the team we thought was going to protect him because he was traded and then protected. Yeah, you want, you want to talk about Oliver Dunn now? Um, we certainly can. Um, yeah, we we can we can hold off. We'll hold off and talk about Oliver Dunn. Uh, it's a tease. It's a, That's a tease yeah, for later yeah. on. Come back, come back later and uh, listen to the Arizona Fall League segment of this podcast. Episode. There you go. Um, no, I, I think one of the the guys that was the, the in terms of interesting names was Christian Robinson of the Diamondbacks. You know who who hadn't played. A competitive game in almost four years. Uh, legal issues, couldn't get back to the country. Uh, back from April 2020 is when he first had uh, had issues, right? And you know, kind of in the middle of the pandemic. But he came back this year, reached Double A, uh, played well. Um, you know, struck out a, a good amount, 31 and a half percent strikeout rate. But you know, considering the rust, that's <laughs> That doesn't bother me. Hit 14 homers, stole 23 bases over 65 games. Tools wise, right? He's a, a 40 man guy. I think, you know, this is one of those cases where the Diamondbacks figured they could roll the dice because he's not ready for the big leagues. So it's unlikely that a team would even take him. And if they would, it's unlikely that he would stick. So I'm thinking Arizona thought, you know, they could wait a year. And, you know, at this time next year, if he continues to kind of show this is a guy who's a top 100 prospect, you know, if he, the tools continue to show up, then it'll be a no brainer. And it wouldn't even shock me if he played his way to the big leagues at some point, you know, in the second half of next year. But he's he had missed so much development time that I think this was a, a worthwhile uh, roll of the dice for the Diamondbacks. I, I concur with that, Jonathan. Like, I, I, I mean, the ceiling's huge. It just there's no way he's ready to play in the big leagues right now. And it would actually, he'd be harmed if you took him in the rule five draft, I think, because you wouldn't be able to get him at bats. 
he just needs to go out and make up for all the lost time. And I would be pretty surprised if he got popped, but like for the reasons you said, but he's, it's interesting. Like, like you, know, you could dream on a lot of guys who are available, but there's usually a reason they're available. Yeah. The, the first two guys that you've talked about from the, the hardest decisions list, both former top 100 prospects. And in fact, Austin Martin was over 16 back in the mid season of 2020, that top 100 list and Christian Robinson was number 39 on that list. Your hardest decision, uh, not a former top 100 guy. No, and and I, I guess I was more surprised just because of where the team is, and I think he could get some at-bats, but the Royals didn't protect Devin Mann, who the Dodgers took in the fourth round out of Louisville. And, you know, at the time they took him, I, I think the consensus was more like he's a good college player, there's not a lot of tools, you know, what is Devin Mann really going to be? And, you know, the Dodgers, as we say a million times on this podcast, do a wonderful job of developing players and helping them improve. And he tapped into more power. And while he's not, you know, he's still probably a below average runner and a fringy fielder, he did improve in those regards and he has more versatility. And, you know, so the Royals got him in a trade this summer for Ryan Yarbrough. Man spent most of the year or the whole year in AAA he hit 276. He hit 20 homers. He drew 79 walks. He played five positions. And I, I just think on a Royals team that has a lot of question marks in their lineup, if I correct, I believe they had the second worst record in baseball last year. I don't think it's impossible that I, I think Devin Mann theoretically could make the team in spring training and be an offensive utility man and play a bunch of positions and get three or 400 at bats. So I could actually see him playing a role on the 2024 Royals. You know, it's interesting. I almost think he's not, he doesn't have the highest ceiling that some of these other guys we've talked about, but I could see making a case for taking him, you know, if you need somebody who kind of fits that profile. I mean, you wish he was a left-handed hitter instead of a right-handed hitter, but he's produced in the upper levels of the minors and he can play, you know, adequately at several positions. So to me, that's kind of an attractive Rule 5 profile. Okay, so 54 ranked prospects uh, were protected out of 153. Uh, and then there were some sort of surprises uh, just based on the fact that they were not ranked um, that got roster spots. This happens every year, um, and we've started kind of taking a closer look at these guys since they're not ranked and we probably don't talk about them as, as often as the ranked prospects this year, there were seven unranked prospects that got roster spots. Um, and Jonathan, you, you, this list together and, and wrote about these guys, but Bailey Horn, uh, Cubs left-handed pitcher, uh, Jacob Herdebees of the Reds outfielder, Christian Roa of the Reds, right-handed pitching prospect, Kate Smith, right-hander for the guardians, uh, Angel Shabili of the Rockies, a right-hander. Juan Mejia, also a Rockies right-hander. And Kaiwei Tang, uh, Giants right-hander. Um, and Jonathan Mejia, uh, as we kind of start to segue into our Arizona Fall League portion of this podcast episode, uh, somebody that uh, you guys got to see recently. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, we've, we've talked about it, but we, we, you know, a lot of times we don't give it enough uh, value in terms of the, you know, the fall league is, you know, yeah, finishing school for, for top prospects and we're always excited, but a lot of times it's a last look for a team trying to make a 40 man roster decision. 
and also giving the other 29 teams a chance to to evaluate those players in case they don't get protected. And I think Mejia is a guy who, you know, maybe they would have added him anyway. You know, his kind of surface numbers during the regular season weren't great, uh, largely because of command issues, but he missed a ton of bats. He almost you know struck up close to 14 per nine while reaching double A during the regular season. But in the fall league, he was absolutely dominant, struck out more than 17 per nine. You know, the command still needs work, but the fastball slider combination is really, really good. And it's the kind of two pitch power combination that should play well in a big league bullpen. And so I think the Rockies, you know, those kind of guys often are rule five pick contenders. So the Rockies, I'm going to guess, figured one, they could lose him and two. You know, with a, a little more refinement in his command, he could help out in their big league bullpen as early as next year at some point. I was going to say real quick, Jason, you threw me there for a second because when you said Jonathan with a silent comma, Mejia, you said Jonathan Mejia, and I'm like, wait a minute, Cardinal shortstop? <laughs> like who signed for $2 million in 2022? How is he rule five? Mejia is my middle name. How is he? Yeah, there you go. How, how is he eligible for the rule five draft? I thought they just signed him a year ago. And then I, then I realized what was going on, so. Uh, so, Jim, the Guardians, uh, one of the players I rattled off there, Guardians right-handed pitching prospect, Cade Smith. The Guardians protected Daniel Espino, their number three prospect, and MLB's number 80 overall. They protected a couple of right-handers, but not their number 19 prospect, Tanner Burns, who's also eligible, but they did protect Cade Smith. Yeah, and, and and that I don't think is a huge surprise. Like it, it's hard to rank a lot of relievers on a list, especially if there's some depth to the prospect list. And as we talk about many times, also the Guardians have a million infielders and a million pitchers who they're they get strike throwers and teach them to throw harder. Um, you know, Cade Smith came up when I did the the midseason update. Um, the Guardians actually thought that he had. I forget what the setback was maybe earlier in the year, but like he, he was on the verge of helping the big league club and you know, spent most of the year in triple a um, two, eight, six ERA and double a four, six, five and triple a. So he got hit a little bit harder, but he's a guy who's pretty much, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say not, you know, he could refine his control a little bit, but he doesn't have a whole lot left to prove at this point before he's ready to, to get an opportunity in the big leagues. Um, fastball sits at 94, 95 and hits 98. He's got a low 80 slider that's very effective, held hitters to 228 batting average this year, wound up pitching, I think it was a total of 63 innings, struck out 95 guys. You know, he's just, he's one of those guys, you know, he needs to refine the control and command a little bit, and then he's big league ready. So, yeah, I think he's a guy who they protected because, again, you're talking about Mejia, Jonathan, same thing with these relievers. While they're plentiful, if you think a guy is on the verge of making the big leagues, well, then it's very easy for somebody else to take him in the roll five draft. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and continue our rule five talk uh, as it relates to some players who were in the Arizona Fall League. And then we'll continue uh, talking about the Arizona Fall League as we discuss the top prospects that are coming out of this latest edition of the Arizona Fall League. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo talking about some Rule 5 decisions. And we want to talk about that uh, as it relates to the Arizona Fall League, where there were several players there who faced a Rule 5 decision. Um, and we're going to highlight a couple of them. I mentioned earlier Oliver Dunn, Jonathan, who was protected, but not by the team that we thought was going to protect him as he was traded just before the deadline. Yeah, I mean, he played his way into getting traded to a team that would protect him, I guess. You know, I think the Phillies recognized that they you know, they may not have had a spot for him, uh, and he would have gotten taken, I think. And he had a you know a good year in Double A. You know, Reading is a good place to hit, OPS over nine hundred, and you know, not the youngest guy in the world, but had a you know huge year there, and then carried over to the Fall League. You know, where he had an OPS over a thousand, he had twelve steals in nineteen games. He can play all over the place and likes to play all over the place. You know, so the, like he knows who he is. And I talked to him about it at the Fall Stars game, and he, you know, he knows he's going to be a utility guy. And the Phillies, rather than making you know that decision, traded him to the Brewers, and the Brewers added him to the forty-man roster. So he definitely played his way onto a roster, even if it was not the roster that was expected. If I'm not mistaken, he was not on the Phillies top 30 list before the trade. Is that right, Jonathan? Now he's Correct. number 23 on the, on the Brewers list. Okay. Yeah. He would have like, if, you know, if he stayed on the Phillies and, you know, for next year, he would have almost certainly made that list. Um, but he was not, you know, this was a guy who was a minor league phase rule five pick the year prior. The Phillies plucked him from, from the Yankees. So, you know, he is, he has had a rapid climb just in the last year, rule five pick and now a 40 man roster guy. All right. And, uh, Jim, somebody you saw in the fall league who, uh, was subject to a rule five decision. Yeah. And again, I'm not going to claim I poured over the blue Jays 40 man roster to analyze exactly, you know, how much room they had, but I was a little surprised they didn't protect CJ Van Eyck who was their second-round pick in 2020 out of Florida State. He had Tommy John the next year, Tommy John surgery the next year, missed all of 2022. He pitched 34 and a third innings in the minors this year. So not a body of work, hasn't pitched a lot, but he looked good in the fall league. He showed four pitches. I don't know that he has a plus pitch, but he throws strikes with four pitches. He had one of the better curveballs in AFL, performed well. He had a 2.51 ERA in what is very much a hitter's league. He struck out three batters with three different pitches when he started the Fall Stars game in his lone inning of work. And I do think there's some, like, I, I think he's a guy who I feel like pretty, I guess what I'm trying to say, not pretty easily, but has a better chance than most Rule 5 guys to stick on a big league roster. I think he's a guy who eventually could fit into like a number four or five rotation spot if it all comes together. And I think this year, if you hey, were keeping him on your roster because of the rule five guidelines, he could definitely pitch middle relief. You know, ideally, yes, you would like him to pitch a full season and get some innings because he really hasn't pitched that much as a pro, um, which I'm sure factored into decision to keep him. But given the fact that he looked pretty good in the fall league and he looked like, 
I mean, Jonathan, I mean, there were not a whole lot of guys you saw in fall league this year who were like, oh, that guy might be a future big league starter. Um, I think no, you're right. Fewer than usual. And he's one of them. So I, I like, I thought that was interesting. Like, I would have thought that given the fall league performance, it's going to, it's going to make it tougher to sneak him through the rule five draft. And we'll see, you know, again, I think the lack of pro innings probably, you know, played in that decision and they're going to gamble that a team can't really do it. But like, if I'm a, if I'm a team that's struggling, if I'm the A's or the Royals or some team that had a bad year last year, why wouldn't I spend a hundred thousand dollars on CG Van Eyck and maybe I, he can, you know, nail down a rotation spot for me. And if he doesn't, yeah, I mean, the worst thing it costs me is $50,000 when I offer him back. Some of these teams, they were really struggling to fill out a rotation and do not have prospects ready to step in. Why not give them a chance to, to win a, a, a number four, number five spot in a rotation, even if you have to manage his innings because of the lack of reps that he's had. Yeah, I, I think so. All right, let's stay in the Arizona Fall League, but let's shift gears and talk about the top prospects who are there this year. And each year uh, when the season concludes, we uh, rank the top AFL prospects. And uh, somebody explain how this is done because it's not strictly as they rank. It's it's not a, it's not strictly based on their performance in the Fall League, and it's not strictly just a straight ranking either. It's a it's a combination thereof is that uh relatively yeah, accurate yeah. synopsis yeah i think i wind up doing this list most of the time and jonathan's done it and obviously jonathan and sam contribute it's not just me pontificating without any input but um i think it's more based on long-term projection but you can't totally ignore what they did in the fall league like that said like a guy like like well the guy who is probably the hardest to rank or the big two biggest extreme between the two would be Carson Williams of the Padres, who was one of the youngest guys in the league at age 20. And I don't know how much you saw him, Jonathan, playing for Peoria, but he looked exhausted like we've seen many young. Did you just break a tr- trade news? You sent him to the Padres? Uh, I'm sorry, I raised. Yeah, I'm Minus trading pod. him to the Padres. He is from San well, Diego. You know what it is? It's so. like he's on Peoria, and I'm thinking Peoria, pa- Padres. He's from right? San Diego. Yeah. It's okay. I'm tra- that's what it is. It's, it's, yes, A.J. Preller's just traded Carson <laughs> Williams, or traded for Carson Williams, and he's sent Juan Soto to the Rays. Uh, wow. <laughs> if you Well, at the end of the Good podcast, man. I'll give you the rest of the trade. I'm still working on that. Um, <laughs> I'm totally joking. So hopefully nobody has a heart attack listening to this. But yeah, Carson Williams of the Rays, he looked exhausted. It, it reminded me, Jonathan, actually, of, of how Corey Seager looked exhausted. I think it was like 10 the years ago, the first time he went to the Fall League after his first But anyway, and besides breaking trade news, Carson Williams didn't do a whole lot in the fall league, but you could see that, you know, he's a shortstop with plus power, plus defense, solid runner, huge arm, you know, swing and miss is a concern. He's going to have to address, but so you can't just, I, I didn't just keep him in the top 100 order and which would have made Carson Williams number two. Um, but I didn't say, Oh boy, he really struggled. So I can't rank him. I mean, I think the the biggest struggle in recent years was didn't O'Neill Cruz hit like 140 in the fall league. But you, you, you try yeah, to, you, and he looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. Yeah. And, and Carson, yeah. I don't think looked disinterested. He just looked like he was a 20 year old mm-hmm. kid who had been playing baseball, you know, spring training started in March and he probably reported in February and he just looked exhausted. Um, but so anyway, we're, we're trying to balance the two, but ultimately when you do a prospect list, it should be, how good do you think these guys are going to be in the long run? Yeah, and I think, you know, we're, 
Good. Well, I was just going to say, Jim, that, uh, you know, the fact that Carson Williams ranks number 19 on the top 100 list and is one spot behind Chase DeLauder on on this list, who is number 85, kind of uh, is a, a good sort of example of, of how this list works. Yeah. And if we, and, and I even wrote in the, in the story, if you balance, if it was a complete balance of tools and projection on one side and AFL performance on the other side, it was 50, 50, then DeLauder pl- clearly would be number one because Colson Montgomery, who ranked number one, on the list didn't really dominate either, you know, outside of, you know, he won MVP honors in the fall stars game, but yeah, it's, it's all, it's, it's a weird, strangely, we'll, we'll get to another list that draws much more rage. But like people, readers actually seem to read the intro and understand what we're going for here and don't say, oh my God, you know, this guy hit 180. How can you rank him type of thing? It's it's always a balance. You know, know, I was just going to say guys work their way up the list. I mean, that's a good example right at the top. But, you know, there are guys who land on this list who wouldn't, you know, like a Jacob Marcy who won an MVP coming in. Yes, he's a ranked prospect, but it's not like he was a, Oh, this is one of the top fifteen to twenty players that we're excited to see in in the fall league at the the start of it. He played his way up up the list. Uh, you know, there's another example of how performance sort of figures into even guys who are you know decently regarded, if not the super highly regarded top one hundred guys coming in. Yeah, he uh, he played his way to the number fifteen spot on this list. In fact, just a couple spots behind. Kevin Parada, who is on the top 100, MLB top 100 list. Uh, quickly rattling off the top of this list, uh, Jim, you mentioned Colson Montgomery, number one. Uh, we talked about Chase DeLauder at number two. Carson Williams, uh, formerly of the Rays, now of the Padres, as uh, Jim broke that big trade. <laughs> no, uh, Carson Williams of the Williams I'm hearing of Jacob the Rays. Jacob is also going to the Rays in that trade. <laughs> no, in this fake trade. Uh Ricky Tiedemann, number four, the highest-ranked pitching prospect out there, uh, was very good in his four starts, won the Pitcher of the Year award in the Arizona Fall League. Number five, the second-highest-ranked pitching prospect out there, Jackson Job, who was also very good in his limited action in the Fall League. Kyle Manzardo, MLB's number 58 prospect. Guardians, number two, is number six. James Triantos of the Cubs is number seven. Also, Cubs outfield prospect Kevin Alcantara, number eight, Harry Ford, number nine, uh, I think based largely on his uh, MLB ranking and not so much what he did in the fall league. Well, I mean, it's weird. He hit 174, but his ops was over a thousand. So try that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would, he, he hit for power and he drew a ton of walks. He just, he didn't play a whole lot. Didn't play much. Yeah. Um, and uh, Abella Ortiz of the Rangers at number 10 and uh, won't go through the full 25, but Jace Young, a top 100 prospect in baseball, number 67, ranks number 12 on the list. I think that does it for the top 100 prospects on the list, if I'm not mistaken. And is it right? There are only one player who's not on his team's top 30 that made the list. Jim, does that sound right? The last um, player on the list. Yeah, I was like, Webb. wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute, who is that? And I wrote the list. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Too All busy right, breaking fake trades. I'm still working on the Soto trade. Exactly. All right. 
Let's take a break. Jim mentioned the long-term rookie rankings and how much rage they inspire. We'll come back and talk about that next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratt with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Going to talk long-term rookie rankings. Um, this is a story that we've done for years. Um, Jim has done it. He has, uh, he has angered many, many people, including Hall of Famers. Um, <laughs> you share my same birthday. We're a birthday. But this, this is a fun one. And, you know, I, I think... Part of the rage occurs because people don't look at this, even though it's clearly stated these are long-term rookie rankings. And, and I think people just get excited when a guy has a good rookie season and they project that he's going to do that for the rest of his career. And oftentimes, uh, it's clearly not the case. Um, but Jim, the, these have been, looking back, these have been pretty accurate. Uh, it, it, I shouldn't. I think maybe I sounded more surprised than I should there. But uh, <laughs> these actually don't suck. What? You didn't. You didn't blow these as much as I thought you did. No, I mean, yeah, we have these dating back to 2015 in a spreadsheet, and uh, we, we've added the career war of each player that's been on the list, and they're they're color coded. You know, by, so they say, oh, you know, from red to green and from highest war to lowest and if you look at the if you look at spreadsheet it's generally speaking it, it goes from red to green from top to bottom so highest war to lowest and complimenting jim here he's, he's done a, a very good job on these and i th i think you know generally speaking would you say that it, is it fair to say that these typically fairly closely mirror the the prospect rankings yeah i mean it's not it's similar to what we were talking about with the afl to some degree i mean i don't just take the preseason list and go okay this is the order we had the guys in but you know and it's guys who graduated so they had to play a significant amount of time in the big leagues you know we're talking at least 130 at bats and 50 innings or 45 days so it's not like guys just came up i mean you had a, a good chunk of time in the big leagues to it, it's only players who graduated but yeah i mean I, I think there's some movement, but like it's very unlikely we're going to take a guy who was not on the top 100 list unless he had an unbelievable year and we're like, oh, okay, we, we totally whiffed on that guy, which I, I don't think – I can't even think of an example like that, and, and run him way up the list. Like if you came into the year, and generally the top prospects are guys who are – the very top prospects are a lot of guys who are close to the big leagues. If you're an elite prospect – we're not going to just be like, Oh, we hate that guy now. Cause he struggled as a rookie. Um, and most of those guys do perform pretty well. So yeah, it, it's you, the performance does color it, but the two, the, the tools matter, the underlying reasons behind the performance matter. And then the thing that nobody ever gets <laughs> besides not reading the intro and it's in the intro is that age matters. We're talking about career value. So if you come to the big leagues and you lose your rookie status at age 20 or 21, one, that's a really good sign of how good you are if you look at at, at history. But two, you're going to have you're, you're probably going to outproduce guys who are 23, 24, 25 years old on the same list, and nobody ever looks at that. Um, or not, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people get outraged, and it's just, oh, this guy had a great rookie year. 
you know, how could you not rank him higher? Um, you know, like, oh, no, like, where's Nolan Jones on my list? I'm sure I did not spend a lot of time reading Twitter questions, but Nolan Jones is 30, have, 35th. Nolan Jones is at the end. He's 35th on my list. And I'm sure there's people out there going, what, what are you talking about? Nolan Jones had a 931 ops and he had 17 assists and 20 overs and 106 games. You're an idiot. Um, but as much as I like Nolan Jones, he was 25 this year. And yeah, his numbers dwarf Tyler Soderstrom's, but Tyler Soderstrom's four years younger. So anyway. What, I know you said you didn't spend that much time looking to see what people said, but did any jump out? Was there one guy who created the most ire that you noticed? You know what? I, I really didn't look at it. I look, I cleared out my notifications. I reset the counter on X by looking at them, but none really. I mean, I'm sure. No, I mean, to answer your question, no, because I just really didn't dwell on them because Every year, people start screaming and yelling. I, I did not notice Jim Palmer did not weigh in. So, Jason, we should um, we should just create like a form email, you know, that people can copy and paste that just says like, Jim, comma, how dare you, over slash under circle one, rank, insert name here. Oh, nobody ever gets upset if I over rank a guy on their team. It's under rank. But I was going to no, say- no, it would be like how how could you have this guy this high when you you didn't. I, you know, I think for me, the, the one guy, and I guess, you know, the, the age factor and, and then, you know, pitching is tough. Tanner Bybee is the one guy, like, but I'm, I, I have a, you know, I'm a Bybee bias. Like, I, I like him Oh, a here, lot, here so comes Jonathan's fun. rage. Yeah, I, I, I like yeah, Tanner Bybee. my rage. Yeah. Can you tell how angry I am? You know, but then looking at the, the guys above, I'm like, I'm not sure who I would have, you know, put him ahead of. But you know, before I looked, I probably would have had thought, "Oh, he's in the top 15. You know what? I'm looking here. I have Matt McLean at 18. I think I I, I do in my 47 seconds <laughs> clearing out my my uh, mentions. Uh, it seemed like there was some Matt people were angry and Matt McLean wasn't. Right wow, there. yeah, Reds fans. So Reds well, fans in their ire. Jim, you, you mentioned the age factor, and I think where that came into play most in this year's list uh, was with Kodai Senga who had an outstanding debut with the Mets, uh, but is 30 years old. And he ranks number 26 on your list. And I I think uh, he might be the oldest player that's ever made one of these lists. Uh, And obviously is, is, uh, you know, an outlier uh, because most of the players on these lists are going to be 20 to... 25 years old um and that's that's one of the first comments i see uh where uh sanga finished top five in era last year lmao yeah i mean what are you gonna do like he he was tough to rank because in terms of 2024 value he'd be up near the top of the list but yeah i mean is he gonna pitch two more years five more years you know, compared to these guys who might have, you know, 10 years of career or 10 plus years of career remaining, but it's always a good, a good thought exercise. And, and we're talking about the list, but we haven't even for, for those of us or yeah, let's, let's list we the should list. Talk, we should talk about the guys that, or at least rattle them off. You, yeah. You, so go ahead. I think the, I think the top was probably uh, relatively easy for you. Maybe not the order of the top two, but I, I, I can't imagine that the, uh, 
much thought was given to anyone else being in the top two other than Gunnar Henderson and, and Corbin Carroll. But how, how difficult of a decision was that for you to rank Henderson over Carroll? Um, I mean, I think you could go either way. You know, it, it's interesting because like, as I mentioned in the intro, a lot, you know, a lot, most years it is kind of interesting, you know, whether it's Corey Seager versus Alex Bregman or Acuna versus Soto versus Shohei or Vlad Jr. versus Tatis Jr., Julio versus Adley. There's always an interesting debate, it seems, more often than not. And, you know, I went with Henderson because I think they're going to provide comparable offense, and I think he's going to provide more defensive value as a guy who's either going to play shortstop or third compared to the outfield. But, you know, if you some of you want to say, look, Corbin Carroll's the first rookie who ever had 25 homers and 50 steals, and you want to go Corbin Carroll, that's fine. Um but yeah, I, those were clearly the top two to me and people can be raged about that if they want. And like, like I said, I mean, I, I that's just, you got to put one guy one and one guy two, but they were, they were neck and neck. Third on the list is a guy that we didn't see a whole lot this year uh, relative to the others. Uh, but one of the younger players on the list, was he the youngest player on the list? He might be. Uh, Yuri Perez, 20 <clears throat> year old Marlins right-hander. Uh, number four, Jordan Walker, Cardinals outfielder. Number five, Francisco Alvarez. Number six, Grayson Rodriguez. Number seven, Ellie De La Cruz. Number eight, Royce Lewis, one of the older players on the list at 24. Number nine, Anthony Volpe. And number 10, Josh Young. Um, and just looking at that top 10, Jim, a couple pitchers there in the top six, and Yuri Perez at three, and Grayson Rodriguez. At number six, uh, number six, and I think that that you have said as much in conversations that we've had about this list that you, you kind of almost have to dock pitchers a little bit when when looking at their future value because it, they're almost guaranteed to miss <laughs> a year or two of their their prime years due to injury. No, exactly. You have to factor that in. I think. I mean, it's. It's the old catch toy too. I mean, you need pitching to win, but you can't count on pitcher. You know, very few guys can you count on year after year after year. You know, like I said, you know, the top two guys were were easy. You know, I kicked this around among a couple scouts, and I decided just you know, Perez. I just think is so unique that you just haven't seen a guy six foot eight with crazy stuff and that much polish at a young age, age twenty. I decided to just go for the, uh, I guess, uh, unicornness to coin a word of Yuri <laughs> Perez compared like to it. Jordan Walker and Francisco Alvarez. But yeah, it, it is tough because you know, and even this year he didn't get hurt, but like the Marlins managed him very carefully, and you know he didn't pitch. He he didn't pitch continually after they called him up. Um, but yeah, it, it's like like I said. I mean, I think these things are interesting debate starters and. You know, the first six guys on the list, I think we're all in our preseason top 10, and we probably even a little bit higher than that, right? I can't remember what Elliot La Cruz was in our preseason list, but I mean, you're talking about elite prospects. And, you know, Royce Lewis at, at 24 and Josh Young at 25 are, are older than, than a lot of guys I'll, I'll typically put in the top 10. But I think both those guys, their age is kind of like their, their human age and their baseball age are different because both those guys have battled injuries that delayed their arrival in the big leagues. If not for injuries, I think Royce Lewis would have graduated probably when he was age 22 
and Josh Young probably would have graduated when he was age 23 or so. Um, so I, even though they're older, the, their arrival in the big leagues is not an indication of, oh, they needed time to get here. They were working on things in the minors. It's that they missed time uh, with, with repeated injuries, which I, I don't – I think we're more fluky than anything chronic that's going to persist for year, you know, for year after year after year. No, I'm not going to allow you to defend yourself with regard to any of these, but I do want to read off some, some more of these rage tweets. Jordan Walker over Alvarez is criminal. Criminal, Jim. Then I'm going Walker to jail. can't play defense. He does not have more potential. That's that's one drawback to writing the story is potential jail time. Um, <laughs> here's one. Dominguez not even being on this list is crazy. Who's that? Who, who not being on the list? Dominguez. Well, he, well, there you go. And that's classic exactly. because he's not eligible for the list because he didn't graduate. <laughs> uh, am I really not seeing Spencer Steer on here? Spencer literally would have been number 36, but I had to stop. So oh, wow. older guy, less defensive value. I am. I am defending myself. Casa said 11 is blatantly wrong. The blatantly, blatantly wrong. Does that mean blatantly. he's too high or too low? It has to mean he's too low. Nobody ever complains that, that I rank their player yeah. too high. Right. He's just not 11. That's that is. He should have put him 12, totally fine. Casa should be top eight, someone says. Sanga 26 is a joke. Yeah, so, I mean, what are you doing? Criminal, you're comical. Did you get any of these, and yeah, invalid list. I like people decide, uh, <laughs> like when we did our, our rookie of the year candidate draft, and uh, if the certain player wasn't on it, then invalid it's list. an invalid list. Okay. Um, you should definitely, if you haven't seen that story yet, you should definitely check it out and send your rage directly Jim. Yes. through Jim. I might Jim. Spend five Callis seconds at MLB. Yeah. Com. No, don't get my email out. <laughs> His home address. <laughs> <laughs> no one could ever figure that out. Uh, All right. <laughs> Things I'm All right. not thankful for. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's answer this question from Hansi or Hansi. We're not sure how this is pronounced. Uh, H-A-N-S-Y. Uh, it says, Chase DeLutter has done nothing but hit since coming back from his injury, which has us guards fans excited. Some don't seem to like swing. Curious about your thoughts on his kind of weird swing. Well, we've heard that going back to the draft. I mean, Jonathan, he was in, in your draft domain, and then the Guardians drafted him, so he passed to to my purview once he turned pro. And I mean, you remember... Both of you guys remember. I mean, I, I thought going into that draft in 2022, I, he was my sleeper pick to go number one overall, but then he broke his foot and missed most of the season. I, I thought just with the combination of, of size and athleticism and tools and plate discipline that he kind of had it all. Um, but the swing, it is unorthodox. I mean, we both just saw him in the fall league. The swing can get long. He can hit off the front foot. There's a lot going on, but he's on time. Like he, it doesn't look pretty and there's a lot going on there, but he barrels the balls a lot. It, 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 I'm not saying it's the same, but I mean, don't you remember Jonathan? We said the same thing about Bo Bichette as an amateur, like Bo's swing was like super busy. And the thing is Bo can just really hit and it doesn't matter. That doesn't look conventional and that it's not streamlined. Bo hammers the ball. And I, I just think it, chase the water the same way. One of the things that I give Cleveland credit for in this case and you know toronto and others you know i'm a firm believer of not fixing a thing until it's proven that it's broken and they let chase to kind of do his thing and you know 
all the more impressive because he missed so much time. You know, what his draft year I think it was early on, right? He had to face the lefties at Florida State, and he struggled, and then he got hurt. So what was stuck in everyone's brain, even though his his you know numbers were were good in the in the twenty four games that he played, was oh you know boy he really looked terrible. And it was early on uh, against two of the better college lefties uh, in, in the country, and and you know I think the inclination would have been well well we'll clean that up we'll fix it you know, once he gets to pro ball, but they kind of just let him do his thing. And you know what? He's a good enough hitter that he will make adjustments when needed. And I talked to him a little bit before the fall stars game. And he's like, he just found it. You know, it works for him. Like he said, he's always on time. He's got a great approach. He draws walks. Uh, you know, he doesn't strike out a ton for a guy with that kind of power potential. He continued to do it in, in, in the fall league where he walked more than he struck out. You know, he's going to be at the upper levels. Uh, so I, I just keep letting him do what he does. You, know, you look around Major League Baseball, it's not like everyone has the same exact swing. Different things work for different people. And until, you know, pitchers show that they can take advantage of holes or, or weaknesses because of that unorthodox setup, just let them keep doing it. No, I agree. And I, I'll give you a sneak preview. Uh, I will reserve that I change my mind, but right now he's our number four Guardians prospect. I think he's the best prospect in Cleveland's system, so I think he'll, I think he'll rank number one when we redo the list. All right, and uh, Jim, do you have the rest of that right now? Uh, Juan Soto and Jacob Marcy going to the Rays for Carson Williams and and Curtis Mead, Xavier Isaac, <laughs> Adrian Santana, and Dominic Keegan. That, that's wow. the trade. Wow. wow. Blockbuster. Fake trade. I heard it here first. Uh, favorite uh, favorite Thanksgiving Day side dish? Hmm. Nothing. I have too many. You know me. I can't just pick one. My, my wife is such a good cook <laughs> and does a tremendous Thanksgiving dinner. She makes – well, it would probably be her harvest bread, but her stuffing is really Ooh. good. Her cranberries are really good. And if we have pecan pie, I love pecan pie. So it's a four-way tie. I'm not, 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 I'm not being pie. like my normal self and picking two. I'm picking four, but I will give harvest bread the slight edge if I have to. If you're doing a ranking. If I have to. Yeah, if I line them up. Because I will. For all my wanting to pick multiple players, you will never see me go, oh, there's a two-way tie atop the long-term rookie rankings. Everybody, everybody has to <laughs> slot in somewhere. Right. So. Well, how about your favorite sides? Well, side. you know, my daughter is, you know, virtually a professional baker. So uh, the pies that she tends to make, she makes an apple pie with a cheddar cheese crust. Um, that's crazy. Uh, we're trying some new things. I'm usually, I'm the cranberry guy. Uh, we, we like doing some unusual things with, you know, ginger and figs and things like that. So that's... Um, those are on my life. There was a stretch of time where I didn't eat turkey. So like, I just loved all the sides. So we have a lot of very good cooks. Uh, we're going to have eight, 18 people here. So should be fun. How about you, Jason? Fair side. I, this, this feels boring, but, and I don't know, is, what's the difference between stuffing and dressing? Is there a difference? I think it's just is the same it, name. Same I, thing. I think yeah. no difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love my, uh, I love my grandma's dressing stuffing. Whatever it is, and it makes very good stuff too. If it's, if it's your favorite, then it's not boring. So I may yeah. I have a five, five. I'm picking five now. And is it pecan or pecan? 
or pecan. Either way. I think tastes both, the same. Either way. I'd be ple- pleased to partake in your pecan pie. <laughs> All right. That is going to do it for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.